Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for November 1st is Matthew chapters 20 and 21, beginning with the parable of the vineyard workers. There was a landowner who went out to hire workers for the day. He went out early in the morning, likely around 6 a.m., agreed to pay each person willing to work in his fields a denarius, which was a coin that was worth about a day's wage. There was more work to do than there were laborers able to accomplish it, so he went back around 9 a.m. and hired more people. He went back around noon and hired more. He went back at 3 in the afternoon and hired more. He went back at 5 p.m. and hired more. And about an hour later, as the day's work was coming to an end, he began paying the workers who had come in last, and he paid them a denarius. So those who had worked all day, who had agreed to work for a denarius, began expecting that they would receive more because the man was so generous. But when they got paid exactly what they had agreed on, they began grumbling and complaining, saying it wasn't fair. They had worked all day, 12 hours, and they had received the same pay as the people who had only worked one hour. Many of us would be tempted to feel the same way. But the landowner said, didn't we have a deal? We agreed. Why are you jealous of the one who received some generosity? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money and my employees? Anytime we start comparing ourselves to others, we will be let down. We will become depressed and angry and spiteful and have an offense, and it will always bring division and unhappiness. But if we are grateful for what we have and grateful for what others receive, it will promote unity and it will advance the kingdom of heaven. Let's be grateful, friends, for what we receive and for how God blesses our brothers and sisters all around us. After that parable, Jesus predicts for the third time that he is going up to Jerusalem to die. Sure, his disciples don't really understand what he's saying. He spoke in parables quite frequently, and they didn't understand much of the time. But I think Jesus was telling them this so that after it happened, they would remember and they would understand that it was all part of the plan. We read yesterday about how James and John approached Jesus asking if they could sit on his right and left hand when he came into his kingdom. We're given a little extra insight here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, that it was their mother that promoted that conversation. God bless her. Down in verse 29, there's the story of two blind men who are healed. They call out to Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped and called them and asked, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, open our eyes. Jesus was moved with compassion. He touched their eyes, and immediately they began to see, and they followed him. Jesus literally physically healed the sight of two men who were blind, and he did it so that we would understand that he, when he was giving us his authority to go and share the good news of the advancement of the kingdom, that we would be able to do the same. But even more so, the spirit realm takes priority over the physical. This story is showing us a spiritual truth that not following Jesus is a condition that results from spiritual blindness. 
the most merciful act that God can perform for people is to open their spirit eyes and allow them to see, to awaken them from spiritual death and grant them the ability to perceive the things of the kingdom of God, the hidden truths that most men will never see in this life. The scripture says, while we were dead in sin, Christ died for us. And it says he made us alive with Christ. It is a miracle when an unregenerate sinner accepts the truth that Jesus came to die and pay the penalty for their sins and they are born again and they receive their spiritual sight. When they become pricked in their hearts and they desire the truth, it is a miracle. If you love Jesus and studying the Word of God, it is a miracle that God has performed in your life. He has given you eyes to see the truth, and it's because you were spiritually humble before Him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 21, we begin seeing Jesus fulfill prophecy after prophecy, and it's quite astounding how so many prophecies come together. People began cutting limbs from trees, likely palm branches, and laying them on the road before him. He's riding the colt, the foal of a donkey, symbolizing his kingship. As he enters Jerusalem and people are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The word Hosanna in the past was like a prayer of desperation. God, save me now. Save us now. It's transitioned on these pages to go from that prayer of desperation to one of praise. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. People were saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, it's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple. He began overturning the tables of the money changers. He threw out all of those who were buying and selling and began proclaiming, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Quoting from Isaiah and from Jeremiah, he fulfilling the Psalms where it says, Zeal for your house has consumed me. He has a fire in his bones to reveal the truth of God. He knows his days are shortened. There's not much time left to point the people to the truth that it's not about religion and it's not about money. And it's not about the established order of this world. It's about relationship with God. God's house should be a house of prayer. Prayer is a two-way communication between our hearts and the heart of the Father. Prayer is not reading off a laundry list of things that we want as if God were Santa Claus or a rich and distant benefactor who we would never have a relationship with. But prayer is an open line of communication where we pray to him and we listen to him and we even let him pray through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We should all be praying, Father, send your spirit of prayer upon me. Let me be a man or a woman of prayer. There's nothing more important. First Thessalonians 5 says that we should pray without ceasing, constantly attuned to the heart of the Father. 
it's an interesting transition how he goes from this consuming zeal for the house of the Lord by setting things in order, throwing out the money changers and those who were selling sacrifices, those who were selling animals to sacrifice. In the very next verse, it says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. People were still outside shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They can feel in the spirit this change that is taking place. There's turmoil. Nobody's at rest. People see there's a changing of the guard that's taking place. The power is shifting from the religious elite to this new thing God was doing. And the religious leaders became indignant. Don't you hear what those people are saying? Jesus quotes from Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. You have prepared or restored praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. It's those who are looked down on, those who are least respected by the religious elite, are the ones through whom God is ordained praise for himself and for the work he is doing. It's the humble. It's the lowly. It's those who recognize their need. It's not the religious elite who think they have it all figured out. The very ones who task themselves with supposedly protecting the people from false doctrines and false teachers and even false Christ. Jesus is trying to help them see it, and they just don't want to. Early in the morning, they're returning to the city. Jesus was hungry. He sees a fig tree that should be producing fruit. But when he approaches the tree, he recognizes that there's no fruit on it. It's uselessly taking up space, and so he curses it. May no fruit ever come from you again. When his disciples see the tree wither, they're shocked. How did that happen? They ask. Jesus responds, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do the same thing to the fig tree. And even more so, you can say to the mountain, be cast into the sea. And if you believe without doubting, it shall be done for you. Throughout scripture, the tree so often represents a believer. And the believer is supposed to produce fruit. The mountain so often represents a king or a kingdom, such as Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. I'm certainly not limiting God and say it will never happen that a person prophesy to a literal physical mountain and cast it into the sea. That could definitely happen. But I think even more so, it's referring to kings and kingdoms, authorities, and believers like trees that should be producing fruit. And when a believer who is anointed in the kingdom of heaven and has power to do miraculous signs and share the gospel and see people saved when they're not functioning in their calling, when they're not producing fruit as they should, even what they have will be taken away from them. But it's important also to focus on that word faith. If you have faith and do not doubt in verse 21, if you believe in verse 22, those two words are very closely linked. They're variations of the same word. And the root word in the Greek means to be persuaded to be persuaded by God even. So it's not just making up something and choosing to believe it, like some would say with manifestation that you get what you focus on. And there's some truth in those teachings, but 
really what this is saying is that when God places something in your heart and you're persuaded that it's true, when you believe that it's true with everything within you, believe it and stand on it and don't doubt and declare it and watch God do it. Many of us today are believing for God to remove the powers that be in many churches and denominations, those who are not righteous, those who are not teaching truth, those who are selfish and not bearing fruit in keeping with the kingdom of God. And just as it is true for the church, it's also true in the political scene with nations rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms in this day and time. We as the church have the authority if we will stand on the promise of God, if we will be quiet and fast and pray and seek to hear the voice of God and what he is saying in this time, we can receive the truth from God and declare it and watch it happen. Watch as that kingdom in all of its power and authority is cast into the sea, which means humanity. The sea represents humanity as a whole. If you want to see kingdoms knocked down, friends, wicked kings replaced with righteous ones, fast and pray and seek to hear God's voice. It's much more powerful and effective if you hear directly from God yourself. That's why James says the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. When God drops something in your spirit, pray on that thing, not what a person tells you. The last parable is somewhat like the first in today's reading, where a man builds a tower and plants a vineyard and hires workers where a man builds a tower to watch over his land, plants a vineyard, and then goes away on a long journey to a distant land, but rents out that vineyard to tenant farmers. Of course, these renters are reaping the fruit of the harvest, and after a while, they decide to no longer pay rent. They are on borrowed land and keeping all of the proceeds for themselves and dishonoring the owner of the land who gave them the right to be there. And it was a conditional right. He sends messengers to collect payment and they refuse him. They embarrass him. Finally, he sends his son. They'll listen to my son, he thinks to himself. But they don't listen. They recognize that the son is the heir. And if they kill him, they can claim the land for themselves. And so they do. Jesus says, what will the landowner do to those farmers when he returns? Oh, he's going to exact revenge on them. He will completely destroy those terrible men, the crowds told him. And then he'll lease his vineyard to those who are going to pay him and give him what is due him. Jesus equates it to Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief capstone. This is what Yahweh has done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you, you wicked stewards, and it will be given to a people who produce its fruit. 
friends, it's not our job necessarily to decide who's in or who's out of the kingdom of God, but it is our job to produce fruit in keeping. And the way we produce fruit is by making the world a better place, by encouraging people along in their walk with the Lord, by teaching truth in love and doing it not for our own benefit, not for our own glory, but for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you, spreading the good news of the Word of God, now in over 60 countries all around the world and all 50 states. For those of you who are interested, I am a real estate salesperson here in Florida. I'm actively listing homes in Southwest Florida, Fort Myers, Naples. I am a strategic listing specialist, meaning that I have been trained especially to maximize the profit and the net proceeds of my sellers. I'm also a senior real estate specialist, meaning I have been trained especially to understand the needs of seniors and those over the age of 50. And if you are a real estate professional and you're interested in learning more about maximizing your potential and your business and saving money and earning more money, I'd love to talk with you about Call It Closed International Realty. Thank you so much for your consideration. God bless you, my friends. We'll see you tomorrow.